And thank the Lord that even though life is unpredictable, uh, we have an unpredictable, unpredictable God who can storm that weather for us. Amen? <laughs> hey, today is the Sabbath day, and I am thankful to be in the house of the Lord. Um, I'm guessing by the number of fans waving that we might need some fresh air. Is that... <laughs> All right, is there a deacon in the house that can hear me? Um, yeah, let's, uh, maybe we can open up the doors a bit and just uh, freshen things up. We can do that. It's good for the cognitive learning. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Can we bow our heads together for a word of prayer? Oh, great God, you are awesome. And even when we think we have you figured out, you're much bigger than that. God, we have had opportunity to pause, to be still, and we just want to ensure that as we are still, we would know that you are God. There may be some among us who have had weeks that are more characterized by terror and trial than joy and triumph. And Father, I pray right now for those families those individuals, those hearts that may be heavy. But I thank you that at the foot of the cross, there is no burden too heavy that you cannot lift it. And so today, as we come, we're asking that you would give us beauty for ashes, and that you would turn our sorrow and mourning even into dancing. We thank you, God, for desiring to meet with us here. And as we open up your word, we're praying that we would hear the word of the Lord today. Amen. And may that word that created light when there was no light speak life and light into our existence today. Please, we want more than just ink on paper. We want the living word of God. Thank you that you're able to do that. In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. Take a Bible, if you will, and go with me to the book Malachi. Malachi, that's right. Not Malachi, it's Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament, right before the Gospel of Matthew. Malachi chapter 1. We are beginning, this week, we are beginning a new series called Giving God Our Best. And it will probably take us into... Uh, the next month or so, giving God our best. We're going through the book of Malachi. Malachi, whether you know it or not, it's a message, it's a burden from the Lord spoken directly to the remnant. Spoken directly to the remnant. Malachi was a man who probably, by scholars' best guesses, just kind of on the clues that you find in Malachi, Malachi probably lived during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. You may remember their stories, Ezra and Nehemiah. These were men that were used by God. After the exile, after the captivity to Babylon, God actually brought his people back from captivity. God brought his people back out of Babylon, used people like Ezra, used people like Nehemiah. And while they saw revival, they saw restoration, there was a season where after that revival, after that initial surge, there was a season of spiritual lukewarm. Is it possible for the remnant to experience lukewarmth? 
Remnant, by the way, it's an Old Testament term. It's an Old Testament term that the prophets post-exile said, hey, hey, the survivors, people who are left over from captivity, the people who have come out of literal, physical, geographical Babylon, they're the remnants. And so when Revelation, you hear this term remnant picked up, guess what? They're people who have been brought out of spiritual Babylon. They're people who have been brought out of spiritual captivity. And so, man, there was a lukewarm Laodicea church long before the book of Revelation was written. (laughs) And Malachi is the word of the Lord to this remnant. According to, uh, this is how actually the SDA Bible commentary describes the situation. It says that the exiles had returned from the land of their captivity to the land of promise. But in their hearts, they remained in the far country of disobedience and forgetfulness of God. Wow. Did you catch that? Is it possible to be out of Babylon, but Babylon not to be out of us? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Is it possible? Is it possible for us to be, to have left it, but it has not left us? For our hearts to be here, or excuse me, for our bodies to be here, but for our hearts and minds to be far. It's possible, friends. And when that happens, God doesn't want to just sit back on his hands. He wants to speak a word from the Lord. And so Malachi, actually the name Malachi means my messenger. And so this is the word of the Lord. What would the word say? What would the Lord say to his remnant in that kind of spiritual apathy, in that kind of spiritual declension. Let's read it. Malachi chapter 1. When you've found it, go ahead and say amen. Amen. Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. The Bible says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Do you already sense the heaviness of this message? It's a burden. The burden of the word of the Lord. And notice what the very first thing God says to the lukewarm Old Testament remnant. What is it? Verse 2. I have loved you. Amen. I have loved you, says the Lord. And what is the very first response from the remnant? Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Okay, so this is really sad to me. that the people of God who have seen God's hand working this way, working that way, fulfilling his promises, fulfilling his prophecies, and yet they would ask, how have you loved us, God? And God goes into this discussion of how he has chosen Jacob. And it it uses a strong word, hated Esau, but it's not necessarily talking about an animosity. It's just saying, This is God's comparative. He showed favor on Jacob. You remember their story, Jacob and Esau. They were twins. They came out of the same womb at the same time. Esau a little bit earlier, right? But God chose Jacob, the son of promise. Not because he disregarded Esau, but this was God's choice to to bring the Messiah through his lineage. And so God reminds them that, hey, I have chosen you, I have loved you, not because you deserved it, no, not because you're more special than than the others, no, I just set my love upon you. Actually, hold a finger here in Malachi. Let's do a quick cross-reference to Deuteronomy. Can you go there? Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 6. If you're taking notes, this is Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 9. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Old Testament. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, then Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7. When you found it, say, I beat the preacher. <laughs> All right, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Some of you are victorious over there. Okay, here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. I want us to see something about God's love here. Because love, it really started this script in the first place. It really started the story of Israel in the first place. Deuteronomy 7, beginning in verse 6, says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Here in Deuteronomy, these words are being spoken first. The first audience to hear this, these were the words of God through Moses to the children of Israel as they were about to enter into the land of promise, as they were about to enter into, into Canaan. And it says in verse 7, The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. Okay? It's almost as though the children of Israel are like, hey, what did we do to deserve this, huh? You've given us so much love. You've given us so much favor. Was it because there were so many of us in the land of Egypt? And God is saying, no, I didn't set my love on you because you were more than everybody else or because you were prettier or because you had a different skin color or whatever. No, I didn't set my love on you because of that. But then in verse 8, he turns the, the whole question around and says, but because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I want you to notice something. In verse 8, what is the cause and what is the effect? Let me ask you this. What's the effect? What's the effect? Deliverance. The Lord brought them out, right? What's the cause? God's love. Notice it's not the other way around. God is not saying, hey, you were more, therefore I loved you. Uh, you. You came out of Egypt, therefore I loved you. No, 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 he's saying I loved you first. The story of love, or the story of Israel, the story of our very existence, the story of this nation's existence starts with God loves, period. Yeah? God's love is not contingent. God's love is not conditional. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 8 can say, neither height nor depth, nor angels nor principalities, nor things to come can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God's love is the very first thing. It's the thing that starts their story. And so going back to Malachi, when these people say, in what way have you loved us? Well, the simple answer to that is, your very existence <laughs> is evidence of the fact that God has loved you. And this question even comes back uh, in the time of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the prophet who wrote to these people when they were going into captivity. So they had settled in the land of promise. They had settled in, in Canaan, but they had lost their way, and God brought them out to captivity. They, he had exiled them. And God still has to remind them in Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you to myself. So the fact that they exist as a nation, the, the fact that they exist again as a nation, these are all evidences of God's love for them. And I want us just to kind of hang on to this picture of God's love, that this is the very first reminder. This is the, very, this is the bedrock, so to speak, of the whole book of Malachi. As we go throughout the book of Malachi in the coming weeks, 
We're going to find challenge after challenge, question after question, dispute after dispute. And it all boils down to they've forgotten their first love. Not just their love for God, they've forgotten God's love for them. And we're going to keep going, because here in in chapter 1, go back to Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, there's an issue that God wants to address right away. If you're there, say amen. Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, the Bible says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Do you get the idea that they've forgotten who God is? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're able to give honor to these earthly individuals who fulfill earthly responsibilities and roles in their lives. They give honor. That word he, in the Hebrew, it means uh, to make weighty, to make heavy, to make significant and priority in your life. In other words, they have neglected to give God a weighty role in their lives. And it says, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, continuing on in verse 6, to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way? In what way have we despised your name? So it's not just that they have neglected to give God honor, but they have gone the active, uh, they've gone negative in an active way to actually despise the name of God, to actually regard God's name, God's character, God's glory with contempt, with disdain as though it means nothing to them. How have they done it? That's what they're asking in verse 6. In what way? What way have we despised your name? You'll get this idea over and over throughout Malachi that this lukewarm remnant never takes responsibility of their lukewarm action. Why? In what way did we do this? In verse 7, it says, You have offered defiled food on my altar, but say, In what way have we defiled you? But saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And notice this in verse 8. And when you offer the what? The blind as a sacrifice. Is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Do you see what's going on? What are they bringing to the temple for worship? Do you see it? They're bringing their leftovers to worship. There's there's plain instruction in Leviticus chapter 22, I believe also in Deuteronomy 15, plain instruction. God says, hey, when you bring your sacrifice, bring that which has no blemish. Bring that which is perfect. Why? Why? Because what does that sacrifice represent? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And to bring anything less To give God the leftovers is to neglect to give him the best. The sacrifice represents Jesus Christ himself. A lame sacrifice doesn't adequately capture who Jesus really is. Nor does it adequately estimate our need for a spotless Son of God. It does not, it, it undercuts our estimation of our need for a savior. And when we bring a lame sacrifice, it not just symbolizes what Christ is to us, but what our worship is to him. And when we bring a lame sacrifice, we're bringing lame worship. <laughs> it's as though the people are saying, oh, God didn't do anything special for me, so why should I do anything special for him? And this, this is contemptible. You can understand now why God is like, 
I've loved you, you know? I've spilt my blood for you. And this is what you bring to symbolize your recognition of that. Continuing on in verse 8. So he says, when you offer the blind and sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Obviously, the, uh, the answer to that is no, no. You, you wouldn't bring um, your, your half-eaten pie, you know, to the president's house for, for his birthday celebration. No, no, no. You want to bring the best. You want to bring the best. Why would we do it for them if not for God? <clears throat> Continuing on, the, the chapter get, goes... God is just having this, this dialogue with them, and he's not just, you know, just laying down the gauntlet, so to speak. He's really trying to appeal to them. Because notice what he's saying in verse 9, 10, 11. He's, he's really trying to grab hold of their hearts. In verse 9, the Bible says, but now entreat God's favor. It's an appeal. Turn the ship. Cease and desist, right? Appeal. Entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there, even among you, who would shut the door so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord. And I hear tears in that voice. When God says, ah, how can I enjoy this? For the rest of verse 10, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. But notice verse 11, the resolve of God. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. I want us to see that. When he says, and a pure offering for my name shall be great. I want us to realize that the purity of what we offer to God directly impacts the glory he receives. The purity of our offering to God directly impacts the glory he receives. And I want us to see something, because here in verse 11, there's a bigger picture. Did you notice that, you know, God is addressing Israel. God is addressing Jacob, his covenant people that he has loved. And then all of a sudden, in verse 11, the scope of these things includes the Gentiles. Did you catch it? From the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name. And here's the point. God is not choosing selectively in order to exclude everyone else. No. God chooses in order to bless. This is God's mode of operation here. There's a bigger picture that I want us to recognize and that maybe Malachi's uh, audience didn't. And it's in our spiritual minimalism, you know, when we try to just kind of do the least. In our spiritual minimalism, we are a detriment not just to our own walk with God, but to everyone else's walk with God. When we bring a lame sacrifice, it's not just a poor show on my relationship with God it actually influences whether or not others can bring glory to God too. The fact that these people were bringing lame sacrifices, it inhibited nations around to really see and worship the glory of God. When we settle for leftover worship, friends, the world suffers. 
the world suffers. Continuing on in the chapter, <clears throat> when we get to verse 13, it's as though God puts a magnifying glass on the heart of leftover worship. In verse 13, it says, You also say, Oh, what a weariness. Does anybody else's Bible say it differently? It's too hard. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've done that. Where it, where it seems like it's such a burden to bring the best to God. Oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it. The, the literal term there for sneer is actually blowing or breathing something out. Sniffing at it. Oh, kind of snuffed. Yeah. Yeah. So when this idea of bringing God our best comes, the people say, oh, Whatever. This is just a, a weary, this is just going to tire us out. This is an exhausting thing. And I tell you what, when God isn't number one in our lives, all of our attempts to worship him, it is a mere drudgery. It is. But when God's love has captivated our hearts, we will not ask how little, but how much can I give to the king? But these people are here, they're, they're, they're saying, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it. The rest of the verse says, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. It adds something to the list. It's not just the, the blind, the lame, and the sick. They actually bring the stolen. So they're not even bringing their own leftovers. They're bringing someone else's leftovers. Okay? It's not just their own. They're, they're extending their atrocity. It says, uh, the rest of the verse, should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord. Now in verse 14, here's the kind of the conclusion of this unit. It says, but cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. In other words, he, he's, got, he's got the goods. And he promises to give God the best. But then he actually just gives him the leftovers, the lame, the sick. It says, cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. And notice the concluding part, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. I want to tell you something. God is not on an ego trip here. God is not trying to be defensive. No, he, he's just trying to set the record straight because the sacrifices of the people of God have been testifying to something completely opposite, that God is not a great king, that he is not worthy of our worship. But this thing about uh, where in verse 14 where it says, Cursed be the deceiver, I think it's revealing. It's revealing, it's telling of the fact that the people of God at that time, they were actually fooling themselves into thinking that they were giving God exactly what they needed to. The fact that they uses the term deceiver, they were tricking themselves. They, that's why they were asking, In what way have we despised your name? That's why they were asking, oh, how have we, you know, desecrated the table? They were deceiving themselves. They had vowed to give God the best, but figured giving the leftovers was no big deal. Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> and this is the remnant. Is it possible that this is still the remnant? Let's hold up the mirror, friends. What can I give to the king? He deserves the best, but do I give him the best? Take an honest stock of, of what it is that we give God. What do I give God? What do I give God? Well, you know, I mean, we have things like giving tithes and offering. 
We have things like giving our time, giving our priority, giving our affection, giving our loyalty, giving our physicality, our health and well-being. And when we give God these things, am I giving my best? Or am I giving him leftovers? <laughs> Friends, I want to leave the leftovers and give God the best, amen? <laughs> the question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? Because uh, as it's, it's obvious that this is, this is the natural tendency of our lives to even show up and still give God our leftovers. It's the natural direction of spiritual apathy, spiritual declension, spiritual indifference, spiritual minimalism, whatever you want to call it. This is just the way it goes. That's why the seven churches of Revelation, they all end up down to Laodicea. But praise the Lord, out of Laodicea, he can call a people who are eventually numbered symbolically as the 144,000 who are sealed with the living God. Amen. Okay. So God can revive, God can renew, God can restore the remnant. The question is, how can we experience that? How does God lead us to leave the leftovers? Anybody want to know? Anybody? Yeah, I, okay, I'll, I'll tell myself. Here we go. <laughs> I want to know how to leave the leftovers. Number one, if you're taking notes, starts in verse 14. That, that cue right there, be, cursed be the deceiver. First of all, number one, remove the blinders. Remove the blinders. Stop deceiving yourself. Take an honest stock of what it is we really give to God. Like those questions that I was just asking, physically, spiritually, emotionally, um, in terms of our uh, finances, in terms of, you know, just the way we prioritize life. What am I giving to God? And remove the blinders. If we're not giving our best, why would we keep saying that we are? So number one, remove the blinders. If leftover worship has characterized what we've been bringing to God, then let's at least fess up to it. Amen? Because revival starts with confession. Revival starts with repentance. If we are giving leftover worship, let's at least be honest with God. Don't be so self-deceived that we ask the questions, oh, what way have we done that? (laughs) Please, let's remove the blinders. Okay, so that's number one. You want to leave the leftovers? Number one, remove the blinders. Number two, remember the king. Remember the king. There it is again in verse 14, God's last little bit there. For I am a great king. My name is to be revered, feared among the nations. Remember the king. Remember how great the king is. Question, what do you do to remind yourself of how big God is? What do you do to remind yourself of how awesome God is? You praise him, you sing your lungs out. (laughs) Or maybe that's not healthy. Uh, uh, Do you walk out in nature and just look at, you know, maybe maybe you drive out to Yosemite and you see just the grandeur of things. Maybe you take a, a walk under the dark night sky and you look at those stars. Like the psalmist, the heavens declare the glory of God. Flower God, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of these things that just give evidence. There is a creator God who did this and yet he cares about me. What do you do? What do you do to remind yourself of how big God is? Do those things. (laughs) Remember the king. 
I tell you, it's all too easy to forget how infinitely awesome God is. We live in a culture, in a society that is moved and driven by multi-million dollar media schemes to fill our minds with admiration and, and adulation for earthly individuals. For celebrities, you can call them American idols. <laughs> you know, we, we live in a world where society does this. It fills our hearts and minds with admiration for this presidential candidate or this athlete, or that musician, and all without us even trying. You've noticed that? Yeah? You have an affinity, you know, when, when the Niners are up, you're up. When the Niners are down, you're Why? Woo, why am I moved by something? Okay, oh, I'm stepping on some toes here, all right? No. <laughs> okay, but, but you get the idea. You get the idea. And we didn't even try to cultivate that admiration. Why? Because society charges us with it. It's all too easy to forget how infinitely awesome God is in a world like this. Why? Because our affections are being sapped by other things. So if we're going to remember the king, remember the king, okay? Make opportunity. Be intentional. Carve it out. If we're going to leave the leftovers and give God our best, you and I must ramp up our cognitive effort, <laughs> You and I must ramp up our, our mental diet with intentional reflection on the one whose name shall be great from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Maybe you and I must be bold enough to unplug from the things that magnify the things that aren't so great in order to be filled with reflection and awe of the king. How do I leave the leftovers? <clears throat> Number one, Remove the blinders. Number two, remember the king. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to fill your mind with awe for the king. Number three, receive the king's love. Write it down. Receive the king's love. And this goes back to the very beginning of the chapter. The very first reminder that God says to this leftover worshiping community. <laughs> I have loved you. Remove the blinders, remember the king, and then receive that king's love for you and I. If we ever find ourselves leaving leftovers for God, the real issue is not just our love for God, but our perception of his love for us. That's the truth. If we feel like we don't love God very much, well, it must be because at some point we don't feel he loves us very much. Why do I say that? 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. If we're ever feeling low on our love for God, it's because we haven't received of God's love for us. It's simple cause and effect. I think sometimes I need to remind myself intentionally and just bring myself to the fountain of God's love. If ever I'm feeling I'm giving God leftovers, go back to verse 2. I have loved you. Do you understand today, yes or no? Yeah, yeah. In the heavenly council, I, I just, you know, I think about what, what God went through in order to discern what to do with you and I. <laughs> in eternity past, before sin ever entered the world, from the foundation of the world, God set aside the Lamb. Do you know that? Do you realize that? Before sin ever entered the picture, God set aside the Lamb. 
In eternity past, I, I wonder what that heavenly counsel would have sounded like when the triune God foresaw our fall. And they brought before the angelic host, hey, this is our plan. And angel after angel says, no, 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 don't let, don't let the sun go, I'll go. Gabriel, oh, I'll do, don't. But here's the thing, a finite creature could not pay our infinite debt. And when it came down to decide what God would give to you and I, he said, I will not give the leftovers. He said, I will give them the best. If you ever feel like you're, you're, you're giving God leftovers, let's remember that he's given us his best. Like that song that was sung last week, Amazing Love, How Can It Be? that you, my king, would die for me. The king gave his best. The king gave his all for me. And what can we give to the king? Nothing but the best. Amen. Nothing but the best will do. Nothing but the best of my time, the best of my energy, the best of my priorities, the best of my affection, the best of my loyalties. And when I find myself giving him anything less than the best, when I find myself giving him leftovers, let me come back to the foot of the cross and hear God say, I have loved you. And I'll let my best spring forth from that, that love for God. That's why, you know, those texts like John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? Our, our living for God only springs our, from our love for God. And if that's true, then our love for God only comes from his love for us. That's why in, Paul, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, In view of God's great mercy, I beseech you therefore, brethren, to offer your lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. When you view how merciful God has been to you, when you view how God has not given his leftover, but has given his best, then what holds us back from giving our all to him? To leave the leftovers boils down to a commitment to love God because he first loved us. He has given his best. Will we give him ours? He has given his best. Will we give him ours? Today you're feeling a heart tug and you're recognizing, yeah, I've been giving leftover worship. So what will you do about it? Will you remove the blinders? Stop deceiving yourself. Will you remember the king? Do something this week to just fill your mind with awe and adoration for who he is. Will you receive the king's love? Will you receive it? If that's your desire, I just encourage you to bow your head with me as we come to the foot of the cross today. Let's pray. Father, we realize that you are the great king who has loved us with an everlasting love. And we want to be honest enough to lay it all out before you. Lord, forgive us for giving you anything less than our all. Lord, we don't want to just hear this and be guilt-driven to give you our all. No, 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 no. Lord, we pray that you would take care of the root of the issue that you would fill us so much with the love of God 
that we would love you out of the depths of our heart. God, we want to give you our best, so please instruct us and teach us how we can do that. We don't want to be a Laodicean remnant. We want to be the remnant that declares to all that you are the great king, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, that others around, nations around, peoples around, family members around, would be drawn to do the same, to honor you as the king and give you their best. Oh Lord, we thank you that you're able to work this kind of revival in our hearts, in our homes, in our church. We pray this in Jesus' saving name. Let the family say, amen. Praise the Lord. If you're here today as a guest, we want to, again, welcome you to stay with us for our potluck. If, if you're desiring special prayer, there's a small group that meets here in this side room to pray, to intercede for one another. May God continue to give you his best as we give him our best. God bless.